0: Hello, loves. It is Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN, and it is September 11th of 2023. And personally, I can't believe that it has been 22 years since the terror attacks on a Tuesday morning, a beautiful Tuesday morning in Buffalo, a beautiful Tuesday morning in New York City, and it was marred um, in the worst possible way by the mass murders in Shanksville, in Washington, and in New York City of thousands of our fellow citizens. 803-0930, the phone number, star 930 on the cell phone, 1-800-616-WBEN. Uh, what are your memories of that day? And I especially would love to hear from people, uh, like in, in your early 30s, maybe 40s, your recollections of what happened. Because... As I mentioned, as time moves on, we forget things historically. When's the last time you shed a tear over Pearl Harbor Day? Probably never, uh, unless you are of a certain generation, because as things, as time advances and marches on, the acute nature of pain becomes more, shall we say, diffuse and it becomes less severe, even though the import of what happened uh, will never ever go away. If you understand what I'm what I'm trying to say here, um, and for me it's very real. It was always very real, and this is always a very difficult day for me. And David Bellavia, Medal of Honor recipient, he did not work today. Uh, because September 11, 2001, had such a profound effect on the rest of David's life. You have to understand that. Uh eight oh three oh nine thirty is the phone number, star 930 on the cell phone, 1-800-616-WBEN. Uh, let's go back to uh, Mike Indepue a gentleman I had to interrupt uh, because I was a prisoner of the clock. Uh, Mike, continue.
1: You understand, Tom. Well, I, I wanted to say something because today – in addition, today you're seeing some of the boot drives in the local departments around Western New York. Um, the men and women at the base of those towers, and I, I wanted to share this with your, your listeners because, I mean, this, this kind of puts things in perspective. They were being sent at the bottom of the towers. They were being what we call staged. Right. The chiefs and the battalion chiefs, they're directing where to place and allocate pieces of equipment. The men and women wearing the self-contained breathing apparatus were at the base waiting to be led in by their captains and and first lieutenants. If you look at the film footage and there are some survivors, these men and women knew they were in trouble. They were being sent into a a dwelling that was up to 80 floors high. My understanding and having read and seen some of the, uh, the footage relative to witnesses, the men and women were hugging themselves. They were hugging each other and then their their particular uh, uh, associates, they knew what was waiting their fate. And we have hundreds, if not probably a couple thousand people in Western New York that do that job, interior attack. When you are outside a burning structure and you're waiting for your turn to go in wearing that mask, the fear, it is terrifying, and it is not for the faint of heart. These people went in knowing they were probably doomed and they went in anyway. They weren't going to let down their colleagues or their partners. That is just true courage. And we ought to thank our lucky stars that we have people who are first responders, military people, law enforcement, that are willing to do those
0: tasks. It- you know, it's in- it's interesting, Mike, if you'll forgive the interruption, because I- I've always looked at those videos and thought to myself that they were very, very upset because they knew As lifesavers, their job was to save lives, and they knew when they finally got up there what they were going to encounter, which was going to be massive carnage on a scale that training can never, ever prepare you to deal with. Now, how many of those people thought they were going to die or knew they were going to die? How many of those people expected those towers to collapse? I do not know. Um, I always took that video, and look, I could be wrong, you could be wrong, I'm not sure, I wasn't there, you weren't there, you have experience in the fire service, but I, I kind of think that they were mentally preparing themselves for the fact that they weren't going to be able to save every life.
1: Yeah, they, they, in all likelihood, um, they were very concerned, they were, they were worried about, I'm sure, their own safety, but Paramount was not letting down their colleagues and getting to <laughs> these individuals. When you wear that badge and you take that oath, you're going in. You do not have the luxury, and everything I've read and all documentaries indicate not a single person refused to go up. If you're going to wear the badge and you take the oath, you're going in. There is no turning back. And these men were, and women were also carrying not only their self-contained breathing apparatus, accessories, they were carrying hoses which to attach to standpipes. They're carrying over 100 pounds of gear, and they have to conserve their breath because they're hyperventilating. They can't use up their oxygen. So I think if I was a lieutenant on the scene, and this is what is equally disturbing, I would have thought there would have been a couple hours before those structures came down. I would have been highly concerned, but I would have thought we probably had a couple hours before the integrity of that structure would warrant a collapse. I was startled. At the expeditious nature that those structures came down, I, I was just simply wowed by that. This is pure and simple courage and dedication. So I, I, I think we need we need to laud uh, to laud that. And the other thing is, I wanted to say I did see uh, the Pentagon about a week later. Uh, we had a local congressman here named Jack Quinn, who wrote some letters for me to be an advisor on the War of Terror for um, uh, Secretary. Donald Rensfeld and then Colin Powell. I was down, I went to the White House after lectures. I lectured all night, went to Washington, drove overnight, went down the next morning. Washington was uh, almost like a city under siege with barricades everywhere. And the Pentagon, um, because of its World War II construction, um, I was equally astounded at the lack of damage at the Pentagon. And we we know again there were there were uh, rescue personnel there there were military personnel that died there i was astounded to me it looked as though the structure was shaped you know it being in the shape of the pentagon but it, it reminded me of almost like a little slice of a pie they had tarps over the uh, the impacted area i can tell you the damage was very nominal for having an aircraft of that magnitude slam into that structure so, in some respects, uh, we, we were fortunate there, but again, you know, again, we had the, the loss of life. But I, I have to tell you, as a person who has some insight and educational background in this area, and I have had discussions with people in, in military and intelligence circles, I, to this day, am not convinced that there wasn't an additional operational site where they, they probably failed to execute the plan. Um, I, I understand that what went down in Shanksville. My my impression is that was either the aircraft at Shanksville, and if anyone is familiar with Washington D.C., the White House is very hard to see from above. I think they were either going to pile drive that craft into the White House or the Capitol. We know the we know the Pentagon was struck. We know the twin towers. I suspect equally that there was a western target. I'm thinking possibly the Hoover Dam, or you could have hit one of the main interstates. If they had struck the Hoover Dam, if they had hit an interstate, for example, like Interstate 70, if they had hit the Capitol, if they had hit the Pentagon, and if they, and they did successfully hit the Twin Towers, we have an epic episode on our hands, probably greater than December 7, 1941. I think some of that information is, is yet to be revealed and we subsequently learn and you know in the decades after.
0: No, that's uh, very well put and uh, very, very interesting uh, and you recognized unlike me and say I get a lot of credit that I do not deserve. I did not understand partially because I didn't have a good view of the TV, but I did not grasp immediately what was going on like Chris Parker, the bulldog, did. But you did. Well, you know,
1: we are the premier military on the, power, on the, on the planet. Up until about five years ago, we spent more on our military budget than all nations on the planet combined. We are an impressive, enormous military power, in particular our satellite capacity, our air power, our naval capacity was second to none, but we've now been challenged by China. Uh, but the bottom line is this, and, and I, I was writing after I was working on a second book, and I did a chapter that I called The Illusion of Security. We are nonetheless vulnerable. We are a free society which comes with responsibilities. We are highly vulnerable even today. And the steps that have been taken, for example, you uh, indicated at the airports. These, these measures, I would, I would dictate them to be rather passive. They are more designed to make the public feel good than they are in their true safety capacity. The bottom line is security is simply an illusion. It's a lofty goal. You do what you can to mitigate, but we are always going to be highly vulnerable, even with our immense military capabilities.
0: All right, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Mike. I appreciate the uh, phone call. 22 years ago, one of the most horrific days in American history took place, September 11, 2001. Um, and it is only natural that as time goes on, the sharpness of the pain um, is ameliorated, but not for everybody. We have people in this listening audience who lost loved ones in the attack. We have people in this audience who were in New York City the day of the attack, and it left indelible scars on everybody who was conscious enough to understand what was going on. Obviously, little, little kids, like at that point uh, Mr. Saunders on the other side of the glass, had no idea what was going on any more than I did when President Kennedy was assassinated. But uh, this day always, um, uh, always... You know, it always makes, I think, all of us who were there and living through it makes us all sad. Um, I'm not going to be embarrassed to tell you that I become very sad on September 11th, and part of it is because of what happened to those poor people in those buildings and on those airplanes, and part of it is because I'm afraid that as time moves on and we do get out of that acute phase of grief, that we kind of forget how important that was. And it's also, and Joe Beamer talked about this a lot, it also is uh, very, very um, disturbing that we were so united on September 11, 2001. And here we are, September 11, 2023, and we can't even agree what a boy is and what a girl is anymore anymore. And that is really sad. And that's not a slap at any transgender people. It's just an example of how far we've come in terms of how divided we are. And we were so united, more so than at any point in my lifetime, 22 years ago today. And uh, that unification, if you will, has uh, spiraled into a bit of uh, chaos. Let's go to Brian in... uh, somewhere brian you're on wben hello you're on wben
2: hi tom so september 11th first day back at work i'd been in lewiston the previous weekend visiting my mom and dad going to the peach festival took subway over to virginia to the pentagon because that's where i would pick up the bus to go over to where i work which is about a mile from the pentagon so went right by that side of the building that morning, and that would have been about 7 o'clock in the morning. So sitting at work, boss comes up to me later, says, hey, guess what? A plane hit the World Trade Center. And I literally looked at her and said, you're kidding. She's like, no. Went into the gym, bunch of people watching, saw the second plane hit the other tower, and I thought it was a replay. Army Major, standing to my right, immediately said, no, this is terrorism. So immediately went back to the office. Our boss said, okay, business as usual till we get more information. So grabbed our work orders, walked over to this other building, which was a converted construction trailer. And bearing in mind, our compound was about a mile from the Pentagon on a hill. So we're working. All of a sudden, over top our heads, heard this very weird high-pitched noise looked at the guy I was working with, and said, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, we didn't think anything about it. Turned out that was the plane rocketing over top our building. We have a radio tower at that time that stretched up in the air. One of our guys who was outside said that thing was so low, it nearly struck that radio tower. Not more than about five seconds later, Heard this tremendous bang, like the bang you hear when fireworks detonate. And not more than a few seconds later, felt the ground quake from the explosion as it just rumbled through the building like an earthquake. Turned and looked at this guy I was working with and said that was an explosion. We ran outside. You could see that mushroom cloud just arcing up into the air above the Pentagon. And as we're watching, we could see another plane orbiting over the Pentagon. And everybody literally was like, oh no, another plane. As the plane banked and turned, and as it turns out later, it was a C-130 that happened to be in the area doing some other training exercise. You could see the stars on the wings, and somebody literally said, it's ours ran back into the building we were working, grabbed all our stuff, ran back to our main building, told everybody what we saw, what we heard. That's where all the rumors were, flying. that a bomb had detonated outside the State Department. Just nobody knew what was going on. Called my brother, told him, hey, tell mom and dad, every, I'm okay. Everything is fine with me. But we left work. It took an hour and a half, which is way longer than it should under any other circumstance, to get from one side of Arlington County to the other. Went to family friends and stood there for a while, just while everything was happening, finally headed toward home. I missed everything that happened that night because I had the world's worst migraine. Next morning, still, work had to go on. Got back in the subway, went over in that direction towards work. The subway station at the Pentagon had been closed, surprise, surprise, boarded at the next nearest one. So, contrary to what your last caller said, going by that side of the Pentagon because the bus went on an overramp on the highway, it looked a lot worse in person than it did on television you could just see everything on that side of the building there were television trucks news trucks everywhere a trip that should have taken about 20 minutes to go from point a to point b took an hour and a half just to sneak through traffic got to work walked in looked at my boss and she literally said hey glad you're here but you're on duty tonight from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Go home, get some sleep. I literally said, great. I took all this time to get here. Got back on the bus. At that time, the bus was still going through Fort Myers, Virginia. When we approached the gate, there was an MP in the turret of a Humvee behind a belt-fed grenade launcher watching every vehicle that came in. An MP got on the bus with his finger right above the trigger of his M-16, checked everybody's IDs, and stayed on that bus until it cleared Fort Myers. So came back that night, did my duty, but life here in D.C. after that was absolutely surreal. Fighter planes were flying combat air patrol over D.C. I could see them out my window. AWACS planes were deployed. I saw AWACS flying over, providing, you know, radar and everything else. I never in my life thought I would ever see fighter planes flying CAP over Washington, D.C. I'll never forget it. Here we are 22
0: years later. Why do you think it is, sir, that uh, 22 years later, I mean, all of the talk after 9-11 was, we will never forget, we will ne- We will always remember, and here we are 22 years later, and I know that there are some people turning on the radio for whom this does not have the personal impact that it has on you, and frankly, that it has on me, uh, this is a very difficult show, I think, for some people to listen to. It's certainly a difficult show for me to do because um, it takes me back to a place where we all were that I don't think we ever want to experience again.
2: No, and there were even anti-aircraft batteries, Avenger anti-aircraft batteries. Hold on. Brian,
0: I, I, Brian I, I need to interrupt here. I got to put you on hold. I misread the clock. My bad. Three thirty at News Radio nine thirty W B E N. We'll uh, finish things up with uh, Brian on the other side. Twenty two years since September eleventh, two thousand one. Truly, a date which will live in infamy. But are we remembering properly what happened to us twenty two years ago? And will our country ever be that united again? I hope so. On W B E N. All right, loves, it is Bowerly, News Radio 930 WBEN, as we uh, commemorate the anniversary of September 11, 2001, 22 years ago today. My apologies for being a little bit late heading into. Uh, uh, into uh, news there, but uh, my, my clock here is working fine, but uh, another clock is not working fine, and uh, I do sincerely apologize for that. It shan't happen again today, and I've got two atomic clocks in the house. One of them needs a new battery. The other one is right on time. Anyway... Uh, Three thirty nine at News Radio nine thirty W B E N, uh, and we are talking about your recollections of September eleventh, two thousand one, and especially those of you in your thirties and forties. Any any comments from you? Because uh, I was a grown up more or less when it happened, and the effect that it had on everybody that I know. Uh, around my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, was absolutely profound. It was devastating. It was shocking. And I remember uh, 22 years ago tonight calling my mother and saying, Mom, how does this compare to Pearl Harbor? And she said, well, I think it's worse because they went after civilians who had no chance to even shoot back. And I thought that was a very interesting answer from somebody who, obviously uh, had been born in the early 1930s. 803-0930, Star 930, and 1-800-616-WBEN. And the other thing that stands out, and Joe Beamer talked about this a lot this morning, and I'm glad he did, the uh, divisions that we see right now in America would have been unthinkable 22 years ago today. And there was a time... Uh, and I'll get right back to the calls, forgive me, but there was a time right after 9-11 where firefighters and police officers were highly respected for the sacrifices they made Um, in the staging area, getting ready to go upstairs, walking into unspeakable carnage. Don't know how many of them suspected that the building was going to collapse as fast as it did, but uh, there was actually a scene of... uh, Law and Order, back in the day with uh, Jerry Orbeck, when uh, Jerry Orbeck makes the comment, hey, didn't you hear us September 11th? We're heroes now. We can do whatever we want. And in some respects, even though it was obviously a fictitious show, um, that sentiment was correct. And in just 22 years, the idea that police officers, in particular, have been reduced to basically the villains and the bad guys in society, and the criminals have been glorified, and uh, no bail requirements is—it's uh, basically a tectonic change. That's uh, a geologic term, but I think it's absolutely appropriate uh, in this situation. But you and and your life. This date back in 2001. Do you remember it? And I've referenced this a few times, but um, if not for what happened 22 years ago today, none of us likely would ever have heard of David Bellavia, who went on to enlist in the armed forces and eventually was honored with the Medal of Honor, the highest military award uh, this country can place on anybody. And that would not have happened uh, had it not been for September 11, 2001. The sacrifices so many families in western New York made with your loved ones would not have happened without September 11, 2001. The ripple effects of these attacks that took place 22 years ago are still felt Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every birthday, every anniversary in western New York and across the country. And such a tragic day. And again, if I get emotional during the show, I apologize for that, but it did have a very profound effect on me and on everybody at the radio station. Um, And one of the things I haven't mentioned today, I've brought this up in previous shows, but one of the things that I'll just never forget, um, to, actually two things. I was, uh, going out with a lady who was, uh, working in a doctor's office when this whole thing took place and she was in a state of shock. The physicians were in a state of shock to the point where they canceled every surgery they'd had planned for that date, 22 years ago, um, Because such was the state of shock and grief and uncertainty, they did not wish to proceed and start anything that they might not be able to finish. Uh, That's just one of the many things that uh, I remember uh, that took place on this date. And the other thing was, looking out the window of where we have the radio station physically located The line of cars, and I'm sure Tim Wenger is listening, and he remembers this as well as I do, the line of cars leaving the complex at which we work was staggering. It was like trying to get out of a Bills game. Everybody wanted to get home early, make sure their families were okay, business ground to basically a standstill and a halt. And the biggest sense that we had was, what is going to happen next? What is the end game in all of this? And by saying game, I don't mean to trivialize what happened to those of you who lost anybody. Um, I'm talking about it in the sense of a war game, a strategy game. What is going to happen next? Um, And I didn't have that feeling again until the uh, insurrection in Washington, D.C. I've said this before. The thing about that is, and I was working during that story as well, I never knew, and you never knew what was going to happen next. We didn't know how that was going to turn out. We didn't know how it was going to end up. And things got very, very real when that woman was uh, shot by the security officer at the Capitol building and then carried out dead. Um you just didn't know what was going to happen that day any more than you did on September 11th. Obviously, September 11th, 2001, much more severe uh, in terms of its impact and its effect on uh, on the country and lives all over the country. Um, I believe we need to get back to Brian on line two. Brian, uh, you are calling us from where precisely?
2: Oh, uh, Lake Butler is down in Orange County. It's a suburb of Orlando.
0: Ah, okay, I didn't know you were calling from Florida. I apologize. I was starting to question my geography. Uh, But please continue with what you were saying.
2: Well, uh, one of the things I saw, the Army actually deployed after that anti-aircraft batteries, Avenger anti-aircraft batteries, to protect the Pentagon. Because our bus went by them every single day over by what was then the Navy Annex. And in order to protect the Pentagon, the army actually started rotating troops to supplement the Pentagon's own security forces to patrol the entire Pentagon. And once they reopened the bus station there, there was someone sitting in the turret of a Humvee watching mm. the buses as they came in behind a fifty caliber machine gun wow it yeah uh there and every day from fort myer we would see convoys of humvees as they were you know changing shifts over at the pentagon because the guys were bivouacked over at fort myer it it was quite a scene in the days
1: after
0: of everything that you experienced on september 11th and the immediate aftermath what will you most remember? And before you go, I will tell you that what I most remember is standing outside of my apartment, quite near the airport, and the absolute aviation silence. It was, the, the silence was absolutely breathtaking.
2: I guess in my case, it would be that I never thought I would see fighter planes Flying combat air patrol over Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area, and being there again on a job site once they reopen National Airport, watching a plane coming into National Airport, and then seeing two smaller planes, fighter planes, go wingtip to wingtip with that plane, pulling it out of approach and directing it away from National Airport. Because at that time, they were diverting them out to Dulles Airport. It was Any, anything unreal. else?
0: Anything else, Brian, that you wanted to get out there before we move on to some other folks?
2: No, move on to some other folks. That's what I can tell you that I saw that day and the day after.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, thank you kindly. I appreciate the uh, phone call. Uh, thanks for being here, my loves. We're talking about what happened 22 years ago today. And uh, it's look, it's a very emotional day for many of you. It's also an emotional day for me. And I can't guarantee that I'm not going to get emotional during the program today, because it was one of those events in life that uh, will, I certainly will never, ever forget. And it does concern me that People in generations that followed ours are not going to have that sense of what it is like to be attacked in the homeland of the United States of America by a terrorist organization. Um, it was it was almost a feeling of powerlessness, of helplessness, and um, it was just it was a dreadful day. And I can't, I I just I can't tell you how strongly. Uh, It affected so many people emotionally and how tangibly it affected so many people's lives. Even within your own circle of friends, I'm going to bet you that you know probably half a dozen people whose lives were forever altered by what happened 22 years ago today. Um, We've had uh, Susan Price on the program, and uh, Susan is the mother of Aaron Kenefick, who was killed um, in conspicuously uh, suspicious circumstances in Afghanistan, uh, which I won't go into now, but uh, it is my belief that he was set up to be murdered because he knew too much about the skim that was taking place in Afghanistan. Uh, Susan has been through surveillance. She's been through all kinds of hell at the hands of the government her son served. And her son, by the way, was twice Marine of the Year in the entire United States of America. And uh, his two sisters, Jackie and Jade, babysat my children, and I run into them periodically. And their lives, even though they were young at the time, Of course, they're still young. But even though they were younger at the time, um, the events that unfolded and unwound after September 11, 2001, changed their lives forever. Certainly changed Susan Price's life. She lost her son in Afghanistan. She is a gold star mother. And it always bothered me that as a gold star mother, she was harassed and hassled by the intelligence apparatus of the United States because of what she knew about her son's death. Welcome, loves. Good to have you with us on the uh, program 352 at WBEN. And now, let us go at long last to Jen on a cell phone. Jen, I appreciate your patience, love. You're on WBEN.
3: Oh, no problem. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate this time. It's kind of a little healing for me because uh, I was in my 20s, in uh, when 9/11 happened, I was an early graduate in school. Went on to love. so I was uh, actually a young practicing attorney. And it was, um, and I was, I remember it like it's yesterday. I remember getting a phone call from my one of my older sisters calling me up. We didn't have, we had cell phones, but they were flip phones. We weren't texting. We weren't on the internet all the time. Um, Calling me up at work on my actual office uh, landline and saying I'm listening to the radio and I hear that a plane um, hit one of the World Trade Center towers
0: and I said are, are you
3: sure you know at first when she said that I was just thinking a small little plane uh, might have gotten into the Trade Center tower but, but um, I said I'll go down to our conference room Because we have a TV in our conference room. Granted, it's not one that was hooked up to cable. It was more for video calling. So I ran down to our conference room, and I got – you could get the three basic channels on it, NBC, ABC, and CBS. Right. And I got NBC on. And, um, they were replaying the first plane. And like you, my first thought was it was a beautiful day out. This can no way be someone that just misguided a plane into a tower. Um, I thought initially, I didn't think terrorism, I thought a suicide, uh, 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 by the pilot. That's what my first thought was. And, and I, um, called my sister from the conference room and I said, oh, I think this might be a suicide by the pilot. It's perfectly clear. I don't know how this plane goes right into a building. Right. And while I'm on the phone with her, and then there were, now everyone is kind of hearing it from different family members in our firm and coming to the conference room. While I'm on the phone with her, the second plane goes into the building. And I go, Sue, I got to go. This is, this is, this is, this, is, this is terrorism. i gotta, we, I got to go get my managing partner. Well, what happened was um, we shared uh, office, uh, a building. We owned a building together with a law firm um, that had just opened offices in the 85th uh, floor of the South Tower. Um, and they had over 100 employees in that South Tower. They lost, I think at the end of the day, I think they lost six people were killed. So the managing partner in our office, we were very close with them, and um, it, it turns out like they, they once that happened, um, um, they immediately shut their offices down and let everyone go home. They knew immediately that they had uh, employees in extreme peril, um, and we um, followed suit. I think they shut their offices down around 11. We filed. Around 1 p.m. and let all our staff go home. Um, obviously, after th- after that, the Shanksville thing happened and the Pentagon thing happened. So we we were all highly, you know, aware that no one was going to be uh, productive, and everybody was worrying about oh. uh, colleagues.
0: Jen, my love, Uh I I need to break. I have to get to the news on time. Please don't go anywhere, and I apologize for having to interrupt these phone calls, uh, especially at the most critical times. Unfortunately, my loves, I kind of am a prisoner of the clock, so I don't really have a choice in these things. And I do hope that you will patronize our sponsors who... Help to make this program possible, along with David's program and um, A New Morning and everything else we do here at News Radio 930 WBEN. Without our sponsors, uh, you wouldn't be listening to us because we wouldn't be on the air.